Welcome to In Conversation, the regular podcast of Encompass. Go to encompass-europe.com for free access to all our podcasts to date. This is Paul Adamson and I'm in conversation with Eva Medel. Eva Medel is a Bulgarian member of the European Parliament. Uh, I'd like to start, Eva, if I may, by going back five and a half years when you were freshly elected uh, to the European Parliament for the first time, one of the youngest members of the European Parliament. What was it like when you first arrived in the European Parliament as a new MEP? Did it sort of match your expectations? Um, I might have been a new MEP, but the Parliament was not a new place to me. Right. Um, so this helped a little bit my impressions, and I was—I I have to say—in in some way, I felt prepared what it is to be expected from from my job. Uh, but comparing it to today, uh, the Parliament has drastically and perhaps even in a way dramatically changed. Even in those five years? Uh, even in just five years. I think ten years ago uh, the parliament was similar to what it was five years ago. But today it's, it's very different. So the question is, am I prepared for that new <laughs> parliament? Um, actually, and um, I think uh, the most important thing for one is to, to get very easily um, adapted to, to the new realities the world is facing yeah. and, and, and the parliament and the European institutions have to face as well. Well, before coming to what your, your own personal objectives and ambitions are for the, your next uh, current five-year mandate as an MEP, can I ask for your take on, on the current kind of political composition of the Parliament? There's been a lot of discussion, certainly in the few weeks after the European elections last, last May, about this new fragmented European Parliament with lots of uh, anti-European factions within it, uh, making life more difficult both for MEPs themselves and for the outside world to, 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 uh, to come to terms with this new Parliament. Is that, has that been an exaggeration? Is, is that, was there a significant uh, political kind of eruption uh, after the elections this time around? Um, well, my feeling over the past couple of months is that uh, we're we're doing things a bit in a chaotic way. Right. Uh, everything's a little bit messy, I have to say. Um, and Even it, and now, after seven months after the yeah, election. and it's not necessarily a very nice feeling. I think we are finally starting to get things more organized and ordered. Um, but the feeling was a lot of very tight deadlines when you don't really see the reason why you have to have a tight deadline on, on something. Um, a lot of sporadic actions um, and uh, not coordinated actions. Um, and one would say, well, but that's what Parliament is all about. You know, a person wakes up in the morning, thinks they could, uh, you know, uh, come up to plenary and, and bring something new to, to, to the agenda. Um, well, yes and no, because uh, we are speaking about how to organize the lives of 500 million Europeans and how to set global rules. Yeah. Um, so I think it would be important sometimes to, uh, to, 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 to take a breath uh, look at the big picture uh, and uh, be able to plan more strategically uh, our actions. I know it sounds a bit broad, yeah. uh, but uh, feeling uh, the sense of urgency sometimes, uh, it's not helpful to act on, on that sense of urgency by doing it in a bit of a messy uh, way and not so organized way. And what I mean, this, this also involves in finding the right coalitions to pass through important, uh, important and, uh, topics, ideas, legislation. Well, because you mentioned coalitions, um, you are a member of the centre-right European People's Party. It's still the biggest grouping in the European Parliament, but it has fewer seats, obviously, than it had uh, uh, 
in previous parliaments, which means it has to try and create coalitions you know, with, uh, with other political groups, which may not be exactly the same kind of political leading. Uh, how much of a challenge is it in this current new parliament for groups like the EPP to create those, those coalitions? Look, I, I've been very clear since the beginning, also to my own political group, that um, the reality has changed and um, coalitions have to be built depending on the various topics one will be working on. And those coalitions will vary, I believe, every time uh, we start working uh, on a new big topic. And perhaps within that one topic, we need to have the little small coalitions on yeah. other topics right. uh, within, uh, which is a new reality for the EPP, which is indeed still the largest group, but nevertheless is unable to pass um, uh, legislation that is important for us by ourselves. So mm -hmm. therefore, um, uh, finding people that they're not just able to talk to other groups, but finding those people that they're able to um, find ways uh, to, uh, you know, make bridges between other groups uh, will be uh, extremely important. You mentioned the word urgency a number of times, Eva. What, what do you mean exactly by that? Do, do you, are you suggesting that uh, not just the European Parliament, but the European Union institutions themselves in collectively are not quick enough to react to, to circumstances? Um, I think, especially over the last 10, 15 years, we have witnessed a number of, of global uh, crises. Um, and we have seen that sometimes the legislators are a little bit slow or governments are, are, are slow in reacting, but most importantly it's more difficult to predict what's, what's about to happen. Um, so I think the key words uh, would be for, for institutions worldwide, but especially for the EU institutions, um, to make sure we have a better preparedness um, that we are better prepared also when it comes to preventions um, and we have this sense of an early action that we need to, to take uh, no matter what the topic is uh, that would enable us to, to face uh, urgencies better prepared when, when they come. What is your view then on, on, on the new European Commission? Obviously the Parliament has this rather critical role, especially at the beginning of a new commission taking office where you grill and commissioner designates and you, and you basically approve it or not whether they should join uh, the European Commission. Um, and there were lots of, as you know, much better than I did, you were in the room, voting, uh, hiccups along the way and three commissioner designates were, were rejected by, by you and your colleagues. Now that the commission is in place, it's been in place now for a few weeks, uh, what sense do you have that the, uh, the European Commission has this sense of urgency and maybe priority that you've been talking about? Well, clearly the commission's uh, priority number one is making sure that the Green Deal is put forward as, as, as soon as possible. Um, but I think an important part for this commission will be to make sure that this new structure is actually workable. Because uh, you could only achieve your goals if you have a very strong team that's well coordinated, that likes to be part of the same team right. uh, and play on the same side uh, of, of, of the team. Um, and so I think this, is, this, this could be a challenge that uh, the new commission has to overcome. Uh, and the other thing is, uh, very importantly, uh, clearly the Green Deal is um, a, a very big topic. But I, I would like to see the Commission leading in its strategic and visionary and uh, foresight.
yeah. uh, actually uh, a look on, on various uh, topics. So we should, while setting up global rules and we want others to follow our rules, we need to make sure that we also lead in various areas uh, as, uh, as the continent that is able to, to you know, predict those crises in a way, see how we could make uh, a different sort of uh, projects or legislation that could uh, truly step up our efforts in making sure that we, we witness less of those crises, which I think are inevitable in any way. Well, you, you, you mentioned now a number of times the, the, the world dimension, the global dimension and crises and address as the European Union. Um, as you know, Ursula von der Leyen has wants the, this new commission, which she's the president of, to be seen as a geopolitical commission. Um, what is your, your definition or your understanding of that term? Do you think it's a, a, a suitable, appropriate way to describe this, this new commission? Um, I think it's, it's a very important uh, way to describe the new commission. Uh, it's a stepping up the game, right. uh, in a way, from, from the previous commission, but also because uh, this is what is required for Europe to be the leader uh, in the world. So I would like to, to see us, uh, um, namely, making sure that the legislation that we put forward here, which is usually the most ambitious legislation, uh, finds its path outside the borders of the EU uh, to our partners, setting rules for the outside, Um, whether it is in the digital sphere, whether it is in uh, the green economy, um, we have to lead um, and I hope most of our partners will will follow, but also I would like us to see uh, really being much more strong on, on the global political sphere and speaking as much as it's possible with one voice, which has always been the challenge, but the times are such that we have to stick together. We are much more stronger together rather than one or two member states putting forward their own ideas and visions. Time to different as you say, the Europe, Europe has to sort of wake up and, and take its role on the world stage, but what are the steps that's been difficult in the past clearly to achieve that? What kind of steps can we do this time to make it to make it happen? Perhaps the first, and it sounds like a very simple uh, step, is to make sure that the representatives of the three main institutions uh, do speak with one voice, uh, that they are part of the same team, right. and that the institutions do not tend to show which one is more powerful, which one is uh, more right than the other one. This is not understood by the European citizens. They can't feel that. Uh, for them, we are all part of the of the same team. And I would wish for the leaders of the institutions to really be part of the same team and to kind of, if there are small grudges or different of opinions, um, find more easily compromises. What I see as, as a good first step is I think over the past couple of days, it's already been a few times, including today as we speak, that the leaders of the three institutions meet and try to strategize uh, together. Um, we've seen that in the past, one would say, uh, in the beginning of the new mandates, but it would be important that this excels and continues. I think today they're uh, meeting in Jean Monnet's house uh, nearby Paris um, in in. Tri- trying to put forward um, and, and clear up some of the, 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 the details on, on some of the topics like the conferences of the future of Europe and, right. and, and others. Um, but um, 
more united vision uh, on, on topics when they're much more critical would be appreciated and would strengthen the EU voice, I believe. Well, you mentioned that we're recording this on the day these three heads of institutions get together in, in Paris. Um, it's also, by coincidence, Brexit Day, so I can't uh, help but mention that and ask you uh, what do you think, uh, from the European Union perspective, not so much the UK perspective, what do you think the, the impact on the E27 will be on the back of the departure of the UK? Well, so first of all, um, because it took so long for this day to come, I actually thought it would probably not come um, a couple of months ago, uh, but things have been quite clear over uh, the past few weeks. So indeed, it's, it's Brexit Day, and what I wish is that uh, uh, we have 11 months ahead of us, uh, we kind of uh, put our sober face now and make sure that we come up with the best possible deal. Um, of course, um, uh, as part of the 27, I would like to see the best possible deal uh, that reflects to what the EU stands for. Um, I don't know if 11 months will be uh, enough to come up with that best possible deal, but I would like us at the end of this process to make sure that um, the UK is not just uh, our partner or our very good partner, but our best friend. Um, I think we, we all need to make sure that uh, and understand that these are going to be our closest allies um, and we need to uh, walk into those negotiations also bearing in mind that, that we want to come as the best possible partners after that process. Well, let me ask you then, to what extent the, the European Parliament and, and MEPs like you can play a role in that because the, the only formal role of the European Parliament in this process now is to vote on a final deal and if, if and when a final deal is concluded between the UK and the EU negotiators. Are there things that the MEPs like you, if you wanted to, uh, do between now and then, that final vote, to try and create that atmosphere of a best friend that you're talking about? Um, well, I'm very clear of the MEP uh, roles, and I never wanted to overstep right, in, okay. in any way, um, in any way, my my role, and therefore it is very much into the hands of the negotiators. Um, and uh, you know, I also am not the type of MEP that likes to meddle into any topic. Right. Um, so um, I see my work as just being supportive in in the position uh, that the EU would stand. But I would uh, very much adhere into making sure um, that we, you know, the most difficult part actually starts now, yeah. um, and the most precise one, and it will be the most difficult. So I think for the EU, it would be important to to make sure that we stick together now yeah. even more than we stuck together before yeah. uh, today um, so uh, therefore I think our role would be supportive of um, the main negotiating thing. Well let's uh, in this final part of the conversation talk about what are your own personal ambitions, uh, objectives, uh, priorities um, in the next five years during your mandate. Uh, you talked about the European Green Deal and the Commission but there's, there's more to the EU cause than the European Green Deal huge as that particular dossier is. What what are you going to be specializing in in the next four and a half years? Um, well, for me, it would be very important that we make sure that over the past five years, Europe does not uh, lose on its competitiveness. Um, speaking of the Green Deal, 
Um, I see it as a challenge for Europe um, to excel and make sure that we deploy innovation and technologies within our um, industry, within our economies. So we might be very, uh, we might have some industries that are very strong, some, some of them especially very large, uh, but we have plenty of SMEs, many startups that still have not managed to uh, harvest the potential of the technology. Um, and also, if we want to make that transformation of our economies, we would have to work a lot towards changing the mindset of uh, Europeans. Um, and sometimes some countries are a little bit lagging behind in this process, so perhaps we'll need this uh, leapfrog yeah. um, moment uh, when we, we just move up to the next level. So I would see my role over the past couple of years of trying to keep Europe um, seeing the bigger picture. Uh, very often in institutions such as the Parliament, we focus on tiny little details. Uh, and one would say, you know, those things also matter. Uh, but what really matters is to make sure that after five years, Europeans um, know that uh, the people in those institutions made everything possible to keep Europe even more competitive than it is today, that our economies keep on growing. Um, and it would take a lot also to be done by the member states. Uh, and I think you would need some sober-headed people that are, are able sometimes to take us out mm -hmm. from the small little discussions uh, and tell us, wait a second, we have a bigger picture in front of us. Yeah. Uh, so let's find a way to get there. Uh, part of that would be to create those needed uh, coalitions on certain topics because um, now there is more division within the different groups depending on nationality. Um, or uh, party, of course, affiliation. And so um, there are a number of countries that want more protectionist measures to right. be uh, taken, even within the EU. And there are others that want to make Europe a more protectionist place towards, let's say, uh, in the technology uh, sphere. Um, so there will be a, a, a lot of decisive moments, I think, in the next five years where you would need uh, um, to, to, to find the right coalitions uh, in order to defend certain topics that that are close uh, um, to to me in my work uh, as an MEP. Right. Well, maybe a final question then. In that the, the European Parliament is very proud of its role as a, as a co-legislator, to use the jargon, as a regulator. And as you said earlier, setting down rules which have impact and, and applicability not just inside the European Union, but beyond the European Union. But you also said the Parliament tends to get can often easily get bogged down in the nitty-gritty detail stuff, which is important, but not the whole story. To what extent do you think, uh, and this may be not a, uh, a new thing, but maybe needs to be uh, thought about more in the future, to what extent do you think the Parliament and people like you have a role as a convener, as well as legislating and all the rest of it, you bring different stakeholders together under the auspices of the European Parliament to try and get this kind of broader, uh, higher view of what needs to be done? I think that's one of the most important tools uh, or uh, ways of an MEP to make sure that uh, um, we have this more united view. Uh, you could sit around the table and have your different uh, points yeah. presented, um, but there has to be somebody uh, bringing up the European uh, approach at some point. Uh, as I said, there's different nationalities, different parties, 
different representatives of, of the stakeholders and each and every one of them most of the time has a slightly different view or a very different view um, on how we should proceed with a topic um, and it's very rare that someone puts the EU hat on right. his head and right. says wait a second what would be better for all Europeans and that's not a popular hat to put around uh, those days um, but uh, sometimes that is necessary if we want to match the vision of the founding fathers. Okay, but well we have to leave it there. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you.